You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at the University of Victoria. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Maureen Chow. I'm here today with Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. And tell me who you are and what are some of the things that you do at UVic? Uh, Dave Nagel, um, currently a PhD student uh, in leadership studies, uh, PhD candidate, I guess, uh, will be the stage I'm at. Um, yeah, and I'm just finishing up my dissertation. So almost at the finishing stages? Almost, yeah. What have you primarily been focusing on? Uh, for my research topic? Yes. Uh, youth leadership and how they perceive the phenomenon. Of leadership. Of leadership. What have you found? <laughs> I'm still in the uh, process of uh, transcribing and creating themes. Um, so I haven't created any themes yet I can really speak to. But uh, I have found uh, that youth have a lot to say about leadership. Um, and usually haven't had the opportunity to speak about it for longer than, say, 45 seconds in one of your common sort of group um, activities. Scenarios. And what are some of the things that youth have said about leadership? What are some of the common things that you hear? Common things that you hear? Um, well, it, it varied. Uh, it varied quite a bit. Um, one of the questions I asked, maybe I can speak to, would be um, if you could think of an animal that represents leadership, well, what would that animal be? And I wanted to ask that to see how diverse the viewpoints of the students were and to use metaphor as a way of getting at um, uh, maybe the deeper meaning of how they view the phenomenon. And I, I, I assumed or maybe a su uh, suspected you would get a common sort of a lion type response or uh, bees um, type response. Bees? Yeah. Why yeah. bees? Uh, bees... Um, uh, for their ability to work with each other and the notion of the queen bee who runs the show and the worker bees. Um, people often associate leadership with somebody in charge or somebody in an authority position. And thus bees are an example of someone at the top telling all the workers what to do and the workers just blindly following along um, what they're ordered. What were some of the responses that you got? I had one of the, one of the interesting ones. Um, was uh, a woman who spoke of lions but spoke of the uh, lioness um, and how they uh, ran the pride. Um, I found that interesting. I had some people sp like, speak about dog, being loyal, being faithful, bringing in those metaphors. And off the top of my head, I can't think of any others right now. But For leadership studies, what type of degree is that? Is it an art? Is it a science? It is a art. It is an art. It probably depends on the university where you're studying, because there's there's many aspects of science to it. Not in, not in terms of the hard sciences, but in terms of say maybe a quantitative approach. And uh, what is that approach? Focusing more on say the statistics or behavioral representations of of a phenomenon, um, or what people view a phenomenon to be. Um, 
but for the most part, uh, leadership studies um, finds itself situated, situated in the, a lot of work in psychology and sociology, um, and it's practiced or um, studied often in the fields of education or business. Going back to your research, what would you define as youth? The youth, for the purposes of my study, um, are 15 to 17 year olds, so late adolescents, um, so essentially high school students. Um, youth um, is a is a varied term. Some people would, if you're the federal government, youth might be described as 15 to 30. If you are maybe a school-based educator, youth might be the adolescent stage, so say 12, say 10, 10 to 17. Others have created a category called emerging adulthood, I believe, which is 17 to 25. So anywhere, yeah, youth is a... <laughs> is a often not uh, delineated or made clear when people do their research as to what age group they're speaking about. For my purposes, it's the 15 to 17 year olds, mostly because they have probably had some experience with leadership where you'll be able to get enough data to make um, a useful dissertation or to gather themes that might be useful for the field um, and for further research. What interests you most about the field? The field? Of leadership studies. Well, that's a good question. I think in, in some way it's, it's based upon the experiences I've had leading up to um, graduate school. I've, I've worked in kids' camps a lot throughout my life, um, uh, taught hockey school for a number of years, worked in positions of leadership um, in a university setting, and then worked for an organization called Katimovic, which whose main purpose was to foster leadership development in youth, in this case, age 17 to 21. And after working with Katimovic, or sort of in transition, I was curious as to some of the theory behind the practice that we were using um, in the field to explore that further and to then afterwards, and now it's quite a long time afterwards, go back and maybe improve upon or enhance um, how leadership is delivered and developed in youth and in the population writ large, I would, I would say. What are some of the trends that you've seen come up or ebb and flow in terms of leadership? Societally or historically, how has the concept of leadership changed? Uh, probably that depends on who you're speaking with or <laughs> which theorist you're speaking to. What are some of your favorites or the ones that align with you the most? I would say that, like I had mentioned maybe earlier with the lion metaphor, predominantly the concept of leadership is still viewed as someone at the top or in a position of authority within some type of group context where they encourage people, followers, subordinates in the old school uh, language description to do something towards a goal, um, usually in an organizational context in some form. What is a day in the life of doing your PhD at UVic? The day in the life for me is, I don't know if it's quite different, but I'm, I'm the stay-at-home parent. Um, so most of my days are actually focused on my children and then I try and do the schoolwork when I can try and get time when I can have long extenuated chunks to get things done um, and to get into creative writing process how does having children affect your concerns 
with leadership or lack thereof? I don't think it's ever really changed um, my concerns. I think it's a, if I had children or if I didn't. I, my work with youth and in the field was pre-children. So now maybe with my children, I, I look to maybe foster leadership potential in them, but it hasn't made me think it's more of an important subject or less. I think for the most part, it's about helping people, uh, youth and adults, to realize that leadership isn't just something that's vested in, in, in a position of authority or in an individual who has a role attached to them, say in the youth context, like the team captain or the debate club captain or the head of the bake sale. Those types of descriptions immediately um, exclude a huge percentage of the population who may have capacities for leadership potential to influence but might not feel so if they don't have that role. What are some of the foundational elements of studying what you study? Just if someone were to pursue leadership studies for the first time, what are some of the things that one would be looking at? Again, that depends on who you're talking to. What Um, did you do? What did I do? So when when I started my master's degree, I took number of courses that were required or semi-required or offered on a list of courses that you can take towards the completion of your master's. And the first one I took was called Servant Leadership, which is a very interesting course and quite happenstance because a lot of the concepts in Servant Leadership spoke to the work that we were doing in Katimovic, which related to a concept called service learning, which is basically learning through volunteerism and experiential activity. Or have you been a volunteer yourself before Mm -hmm. taking this on? And in those contexts, were you always what you would consider a leader? I don't know. I never, I've never really thought of myself that way, or um, I don't know how often I've taken on that role. I suppose when I was in Katimovic, I had the the title of project leader. And sorry, Um, can you explain what exactly Katimovic is? It was uh, an organization, the federal government, uh, was started in the 70s, um, and its mandate was to foster um, life experience, work ethic, and leadership development in youth age 17 to 21 through volunteerism. So youth from all across Canada would come and live in a community together, um, large or small. Um, 11 youth would live in a house with a leader, and through group living and volunteering in the community, and then curriculum that the program provided um, would develop life skills and leadership abilities um, moving forward and they would do three months in three different locations across Canada. One of them would be a um, francophone placement so it was a French English. I think it originally started with Heritage Canada. Actually it started with the military uh, originally and then Heritage Canada um, started funding it. With an, as like, with an aspect of uh, building uh, nationhood, I guess, in a sense. Um, it was a wonderful program for a number of years. The Conservatives, every time they came into power, would cut it. And then <laughs> um, the Liberals, um, I think it was Mulroney who cut it in the 80s. And then the Liberals came back in and reinstated it. Um, and then when Harper's government came in, they cut it. Um, for a long period of time. He was in power for a number of years. And then I was, Justin Trudeau was actually, he was a board member of the organization back when he was a high school teacher. Um, And so when he was elected, I thought maybe he would reinstate the program to its full original form, Um, but he didn't. It exists in a small capacity now with, I believe, 
the focus in Aboriginal reconciliation. There's not many projects running, they're just getting it back up and running. How do you tie in some of your work experience with academic study? Maybe you can walk us through some of your work experience leading into the PhD. Mm -hmm. Worked with Gatimovic um, and then thought about coming or going to school and learning more about the theory to support the practice we were doing. Um, there was a concept called, say, situational learning, or sorry, situational leadership, which in, in my practice with Gatimovic, my original style of leading was uh, a laissez-faire style, a hands-off, letting the youth come to things themselves and learn on their own, um, and just guiding and facilitating, supporting them to, to get to where they wanted to go um, on their own accord. And um, I realized that wasn't always uh, very effective. Um, and there was a style or model of leadership, situational leadership, which has a four quadrant grid that says when groups or individuals are um, low and say confidence or ability, they may, they may need more direction. And then as you move along, they become more confident and need less support. They can be more autonomous um, or more self-driven and you can be less hands-on. Um, and I didn't really know much about that or the, how the theory played out until I came and started studying. Um, and then was able to reflect back um, in a sort of um, my own experiential learning process um, of how that applied and then to reapply it. And then now, and say I get into a setting of, say, volunteerism or work where I'm, I'm leading or guiding or informally um, helping a process along. Um, taking into consideration the capabilities, abilities, or desires of the group, um, and then how, how much um, I'm required to direct or not direct. Um, so, um, What did you do as an undergrad and master's that led to this PhD? I did my undergrad in poli-sci um, at UMBC, um, which was a, a wonderful school. Uh, it was a great experience living in Prince George. But I, I, I've never liked school, um, and so when I finished my <laughs> undergrad, I, I said I was done, that was it. Um, then I worked for Katimovic for a number of years, and then as an administrator at UBC. Started the master shortly thereafter in leadership. Um, what brought you here? We had a personal trauma, my wife and I, that led us to... Uh, come back to the coast. I grew up here. And so we landed back in Victoria. I think we actually landed on Salt Spring. No, we landed in Victoria. And then my wife found work with the government and I found a job facilitating uh, respectful relationship workshops with students in the um, in Salt, Salt Spring Island in the Gulf Island School District. And then I think during that contract, that one didn't go so well. Um, I started driving truck for Ace Courier and then uh, started thinking about leadership at that point and if there was a program I could take that would allow me to get that master's level ticket because I realize a lot of jobs now the master's has become the bachelor's in terms of the credential that puts you into a position or allows you to realistically speaking <laughs> for the most part uh, yeah so went back found UVic um, it seemed like a decent program it was close, so we didn't have to move, and then commuted from Salt Spring for a bit, and then we moved back to Victoria. 
What do you think of the program now that you're almost completed? I think it's changed over time. There's a number of different foci within the program. There's now, it used to be just one program writ large with, um, I'd say, maybe people who called themselves community-based and people who called themselves school-based and then people who really had no description. Not too long ago, it was sort of divided into either community-based or school-based. And so now I'm, quite honestly, I'm not on campus much. I'm just focusing on trying to finish my dissertation. What's the Um, process of the dissertation? Is there a candidacy involved? There was, yeah. There was a candidacy, which was a grueling process. Um, what was it like? It was. <laughs> there was some type of proposal made to the committee um, from which they um, crafted two questions, one on content, so the subject matter, and one on the methodology, so the style or type of research that I would be carrying out for my proposed study. And then I had, in my case, um, I think every department and uh, faculty has different criteria or different procedures. Um, our unit, um, we'll call it the unit, the leadership unit, had a precedent, or one of my colleague peers with my supervisor had the precedent of having one week to write a 30-page paper in response to question one, and then they would, the committee would mark it for a week, and if they deemed it acceptable, they would give you question two, and you'd have another week to write 30 pages, they would think about it, and then you would come in front of them for an oral defense um, when they would go around and ask you a bunch of questions. And then if they liked what you said, they'd say, all right, you're free to go on and start doing your research. Now write a proposal for your research. And then you get grilled on that, and they help you sort of shape and form that. And they say, okay, you're fit to go out into the public and do research um, leading towards your dissertation. What was your proposal for this dissertation? My proposal? Uh, My proposal was ostensibly what I did, looking at youth perceptions of leadership. Um, Originally, I I had suggested a case study as a method or approach and called it phenomenologically um, inspired or something because some of the works I had read, phenomenology would probably be jargony. So what is phenomenology then? Depending again who you're speaking to, um, it's it's looking to get at the essence of uh, a phenomenon as to what it is uh, pre pre interpretation. So the the bases of of what any phenomenon might be applied across population. And there's a there's one arm which is descriptive. So assuming that you could name the essence, the the essential components of say leadership, um, describe them. Um, and then there's one that's more interpretive that takes into effect that a phenomenon will only be seen as such because people interpret it to be something. Nothing really exists without our ability to perceive or interpret it from a meaning. So the meaning we attribute to things um, is created by us. As is always the case. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who you're speaking to and what school of thought you Fair come enough. from. <laughs> and with the research that you've done, where did you go to get these answers? How do you recruit youth? Well, myself, I, I just used my um, contact network. Um, and because our program has had a number, has a number of school-based educators um, in it, I just spoke to people who worked with youth. 
and asked them if I could gain access and then found a research partner who worked with youth in a high school setting and who was involved in uh, leadership type activities. Um, so it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Were you hoping for a certain answer or were you pretty open-minded when, in, in terms of interviewing youth and the answers that they would give? Were you hoping it would lead somewhere, or did it kind of shape your research as you got answers coming in? So, yeah, the purpose, generally it should be the purpose of a phenomenological approach, is to not have preconceived notions of what a subject or topic is. Um, so as much as possible, you want to, they call it bracketing, or put aside your personal biases, so as to allow the participant to share fully of what their perceptions are and for the research then to uncover common themes from the group um, as to what that phenomenon is based upon their experiences and their perceptions. So no, I had no, I had, <laughs> I, and so in that regard it's difficult asking questions because any question you ask or any subject you bring forward you're ostensibly shaping the conversation and so it was tricky to try and shape, build a semi-structured interview that didn't guide them and from one view or another. And I, I prefaced the interview saying um, there's no such thing as a right or wrong answer here because we're all, provide, yeah, I'd say definitely myself and a school programs us in a right and wrong mentality. And, and I wanted to not have that because if you're trying to answer to the right answer, you're probably not speaking from your true truest perception yeah. or feeling of, of a subject or matter you're probably speaking um on some other authority or from some earth which is going to happen regardless because you can't you get away from that it as much as you can want to help yeah encourage them to be <laughs> in their own experience <laughs> and from their own because i find grade 10 and maybe grade 9 um they've had a, a lot of life experience where they can speak well to a number of subjects and they're quite formed in a number of their perceptions. Um, they're still growing and becoming adults. Now adulthood apparently doesn't really happen until you're 25, developmentally, um, yeah. So. Fair enough, I'm 22 this year, so <laughs> I can so. kind of agree with that to an extent, hopefully not too much. However, I do want to ask you, with the research, what do you do in terms of the process, do you just collect all the data in one clumped time frame, or is it spread out over time? And then what do you do to look at those results? Um, well, there, there was a number of interviews um, with individuals. There was individual interviews. Um, each one was separate and lasted 45 minutes to an hour. And I think it was over the scope of three weeks finding time to schedule with the students. We had just uh, been renovated at that time and happened to purchase a townhouse as well. So I was in the midst of renovating a townhouse and trying to fit in these interviews. Um, the joys of PhD <laughs> studies. <laughs> yeah, so, so it goes. Yeah, so just fit in these interviews and then process after that is just to transcribe them um, verbatim. And then from that, apply uh, an analysis to the data to gather and ascertain themes, interpret themes um, from what the youth said they believe leadership to be. 
we talked a little bit about this, but now as you're going through, I assume this was a little while ago, the interviews themselves. Yeah, too long ago. (laughs) (laughs) And now looking back, do you think that there are a lot of similarities or that it goes in one direction or is it really quite widespread? Can they even be considered general answers or Mm. what does it look like for you now? I I haven't actually really gotten to that point yet of ascertaining the themes um, amongst the youth. Um, The one general commonality I would say from the interviews that... um, You've seen thus far. Or just from my rec of the process and from one of the closing questions was, uh, has this interview process brought up anything for you that you'd like to talk about further or has it uh, solidified anything you've thought of leadership to be or has it countered anything and just made you think of something and most of them to a T said um, they had never had an, an hour to speak on the subject of leadership and doing so helped them to understand more what it meant for them and how it applied to and manifested in their lives. So they had to confront those questions, I guess. They never had the opportunity to actually speak to their experience on the subject. You can't confront what you don't know. <laughs> don't know yeah. to wonder, I guess. And in your opinion, what is the ideal leadership, if there is one at all? Yeah, I wouldn't say there is one. Once you get into concepts of ideal, it becomes morally infused, and there's a multitude of beliefs on what is right or wrong. Um, currently... Um, so one of the commonplace notions of leadership is it has to have an, an ethical or moral aspect of being a good person or helping people towards some positive outcome. And so you'll see, say, um, with, say, Donald Trump, people are saying he's not a leader. There's no way he's a leader. And mostly that's because I think people don't agree with his moral framework and less so whether or not he's a leader, because clearly he is a leader. We just might not like what he's what saying he's doing, yeah. or what his followers want him to say because like it or not 50 percent of the populace who voted liked what he said which is only 50 percent or sorry 25 like of the population but there was a, a large group of people who, who believed in what he was doing or what he's doing so he's he's leading you know but generally people will often try and say oh no no he's not not a leader because he doesn't believe in what we believe do you think in the future it's going to be academia for you after this PhD? Or do you think that it's another career path? I don't know. I'm, I'm quite wide open. I haven't been on the academic career path, the, the one where you publish a lot and go to a lot of conferences and get a lot of grants leading towards that type of career. So I don't know if that would be in the cards. I did have an opportunity to teach uh, last semester. Um, so that was interesting. So sessional type uh, work maybe in academia or, yeah, I could still do it. I could lead on to career in some capacity. What are some of the things that people in your program have gone on to do? The ones that I know of, a number of the people in the leadership program work full time and do um, the master's or the PhD on top of that. And so for most of the people, it's it's a, um, I'll call it a professional development degree where they're getting the master's or PhD to help them in their current career pursuits. A number of people in the school-based side of the program 
uh, might be teachers who aspire towards uh, administration, being a vice principal or principal, and I believe one of the tickets to allow you to do that is a, is a master's degree. Um, and I imagine it should be related in some way to um, school or, or leadership, so a number of people take the degree for that. Is there something about the UVic program that you think distinguishes it from others like it? I don't know much of other programs, and there aren't, in, in Canada, there aren't really that many programs related to leadership, especially at the undergrad level. We're, we're way behind um, the states in that regard. In the U.S., every I think most schools have type of some type of leadership minor, uh, at least, or major, and then in terms of the master's level, like most schools would have a leadership program in Canada there aren't many Royal Roads has one I'm not entirely sure what goes on there I know it costs more <laughs> um, so cost is a factor um, the one I guess one of the nice things about this program is it's in person if you're someone who's looking for face-to-face -face learning a number of the leadership programs have gone online because it's easier to get clients and broadens the geography of their client base and a lot of people are working full-time as well so the online might work for them um, so this program is face-to-face I think almost entirely there might be some courses that are occasionally delivered online but so that might be a, f a differentiating factor and one last question for you what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about pursuing leadership studies whether it be at UVic or elsewhere I, I don't know I wouldn't I don't know I don't know if I'd have advice for that what do you think is the best approach to studying what you study is it just an open mind or I think anyone in academia hopefully has an open mind <laughs> um, it seems to be less and less but I, I think if you really want to get into the scholarship or get into the ideas and the, the foundations of the ideas. Um, an open mind is essential. You do the nature of, of the institution also, you do need to make opinions and have arguments. I see for the most part the foundations are, are very important. We often like to, there's an expression, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Always want to create new things or new shiny things call them our own or call them something we can sell and often they've been done before um, in some shape or form and there's a lot of value in the in those things and those ideas that that have shaped where we are now and so I'd say don't forget about those things. Thank you so much for coming in it was a pleasure to have you. Oh thank you very much thanks for having me it's been a neat experience. For interviewee contact information or to listen to this episode again Go to podcasts at cfuv.ca. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Jargon.